Hi, I'm Ed Milet, and I am one of the passionate few. Hey guys, thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Passion and Few podcast today. You guys are in for a super special treat. I'm your host, Omar, and today we get to sit down with none other than nine-figure agency chairman, and yes, when I say nine-figure, I mean hundreds of millions of dollars, agency chairman, Mr. Ed Milet. We get to hear the whole story of how Mr. Max Out himself, as he's coming to be known for his famous world-renowned slogan, went from being in a rough situation in life to where he married his high school sweetheart and really believed in his financial services business and getting to the top of the top in his field, but incurred a lot of obstacles in his path. Obstacles that I'm sure a lot of you can relate to. Things like losing his house, having his car repoed, even having his electricity and water turned off to the point where him and his wife would have to go shower in public. Just incredibly shameful things that were really challenging for Ed, but fortunately he was able to overcome them and shared the whole story as I got to sit down and have a one-on-one discussion with him on his beautiful $25 million property overlooking the ocean in Laguna Beach, just one of his many beautiful properties. But what's shown through is just how sincere Ed is, and in this interview, it will be no secret as to why he's world-renowned as being a life and business strategist inspiring millions of people around the world to max out and live their best life. Also, we have a super special treat because in the description here on iTunes, I'm sharing a free special masterclass to help teach you how to build your own interview show so that you can help guests reach an even bigger audience while you in the process reach a bigger audience with your message, product, and service. So I'm going to be teaching that exclusive 100% free masterclass and be sure to check it out in the description below so I can help you build your own interview show and brand around it as well, no matter your experience level. With no further ado, I want to encourage you to sit back, relax, and enjoy the empowerment, the inspiration, and a lot of the wisdom in this interview because it is jam-packed with it. So sit back, relax, and enjoy our interview today with Mr. Max Out himself, Ed Milet. Enjoy. Thanks for being on the show today, Ed. Pleasure to be here, brother. My man. So as we sit here in this beautiful home of yours on the coast, I want to thank you for your time. And let's, have you. let's get right into it. Thank you. Honored to be here. Let's get right into it. A lot of people might see you on social media. Maybe they know you for a lot of the material things or maybe what you've done in business. But where did this all begin? Where did you grow up and what was your childhood like? I grew up pretty close to where you grew up. That's what <laughs> we were talking. I'm, right. uh, I'm from Diamond Bar, California. That's where I grew up. I was born in Boston, but I'm from Diamond Bar, California. And I grew up I grew up in the place probably that's one of the harder places to come from to win. I always say this because <laughs> I think if you grow up really wealthy, mm-hmm. then you kind of have access to stuff. You sort of model successful behavior. There's some downsides. Maybe you grow up a little softer or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. If you grow up really poor, I think you know what you don't want, right? There could be some inherent advantages to that. I come from like middle to lower middle class, probably middle class, I guess. And so I think sometimes that's the more difficult place to go through because it wasn't unbelievably uncomfortable growing up, mm-hmm. but there weren't all these examples of mega success either. And so, you know, like they say, you know, good is the enemy of great, mm-hmm. right? Good is the enemy of maxing out too, right? So <laughs> the same is true for me. So I grew up in kind of middle America, lower middle America type family. And what was your childhood like? Were you always ambitious as a kid? I mean, yeah. where did that sort of develop? Were you a natural entrepreneur? I mean, yeah. what was your, no, what was your... Yeah, it's interesting. Um, just it was you, no one's asked me it exactly like that. So, I my family I come from a, a normal family. So what I mean by normal is we were dysfunctional. Everyone <laughs> thinks normal families are like perfect, right? right? Normal families aren't perfect. So I grew up in a loving family, mm-hmm. but my dad had an alcohol problem when I was growing up, a real serious one. He's sent sober, mm-hmm. and I should say this: he's now my best friend. That's awesome. But it wasn't that way when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. So I grew up with a lot of like many of you can relate to this. I grew up in a family with a lot of stress, a lot of strife, a lot of tension. Mm-hmm. A lot of noise, right? And um, so I was always on edge as a kid, you know? And so I don't know that as a kid, I consciously thought all the time about what I wanted. I was trying to get through another day mm-hmm. when I was a kid. Oftentimes, I was left sometimes to be the man of the house certain nights, you know? And so, but I did grow up as an athlete. I thought I was going to be a professional baseball player. Yeah. That's sort of what everybody thought I was going to do, <laughs> what I thought I was going to do. And so... How long did you play for? I played in high school, and I played in Division One in college. Oh, wow. I was an All-American in college. Mm-hmm. And then I played for a year in minor league ball, and then I was released. I, had a, I wasn't good enough anyway, mm-hmm. but I had a pretty severe right leg injury that happened to me when I was younger. Oh, man. Yeah, but that's, I, I, it was, everything in life happens for you, not to you. I say that all the time. In hindsight, I'm glad I didn't go play five or six years in the minors 
come out 26, 27, not knowing what I wanted. So it was a hidden blessing that, mm -hmm. that baseball ended for me. How did you react or what were you going through mentally? Because I know a lot of times yeah. when people realize, you know, they're smack dab in their mid-20s, their first stream didn't work out and they go, shit, you know, yeah. what do I do now? I mean, that brother, what was that time like? Exactly. So mm -hmm. everyone can relate to this. Your first big dream mm -hmm. didn't work. That could be a relationship, a marriage you were in. It could be a business. It could be you're going to get your master's. <laughs> for me, it was baseball, right? And it ended and I uh, fell right on my ass, to be honest with you. Completely uh, depressed, mm -hmm. down. I ended, up, I ended up moving back home with my mom and dad <laughs> in my early, with my degree, unemployed, <laughs> living in the same bedroom, same teddy bear, same <laughs> posters on the wall. How old are you at this time? 21, 22 years old. Wow. Yeah, my whole day. <laughs> I was laughing the other day. I was like, my whole day, because I was unemployed, my life was consisted of, some people are too young for this, but my life consisted of the Maury Povich show and Jerry Springer, man. Like, <laughs> every day about 4 o'clock, I wanted to, you ever see Maury Povich? Yeah, yeah, where yeah. They, they open the thing, you are not the daddy. The father, you know, yeah, they, yeah. my whole life was, you know, who's the daddy every single day? So that's what basically I was doing when I started in business. So I was just flat broke, completely depressed. Mm -hmm. uh, already not someone who has super high self-esteem. Naturally, mm -hmm. I have to work at that. I'm kind of a... My parents used to introduce me, little Eddie, he's the shy one, you know, mm. and that's a terrible thing to introduce a kid as because <laughs> yeah. I acted shy. So yeah. I'm really introverted, very shy to this day. I'm still a pretty quiet person. Mm -hmm. And um, and so I always have to have worked hard on my self-esteem because I came from such a low place. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of times when you see someone really confident, they've probably had to work really hard at that. That's right. They probably come from a very low starting point, which I did. So that's one of the reasons that I've had to work on myself so hard. Do you think that being an, an athlete and playing baseball that you had a sort of physical confidence in terms of the yeah. sport, but maybe not in life? Or, you know, how did that develop? What was that like? Good question. Uh, no, because I'm not a big guy, right? I was always undersized. Um, I didn't start lifting weights until college. So I was, when I went away from my scholarship in, in, uh, in college, I was 150 pounds. Wow. So to play Division One big-time baseball, I was really small, and I had a great mentor mm -hmm. I could tell you about in a minute that helped me with my weightlifting. But long story short, no, my confidence comes from my work ethic. Mm -hmm. I think all self-confidence, self-confidence is really someone who keeps promises to themselves. I love that. So when I, when I meet somebody who says I lack self-confidence, I know intuitively this person has not consistently kept promises they make to themselves mm -hmm. because self-confidence is really like, your reputation with yourself. Mm -hmm. If you've got a great reputation with yourself and you know you can trust you, mm -hmm. you're not so concerned about your reputation and what other people think about That's you. That's right. So if you're always worried about what people think about you, it's because you really don't think great about yourself. And you don't think great about yourself because you lack self-confidence. And you lack self-confidence because you keep not keeping the promises you make to yourself. So my confidence came from my preparation mm -hmm. and from my consistently doing the things I told myself I was going to do. Mm -hmm. So I built this reputation where I trust me. And that was where my confidence comes from, still to this day. Did you always start out like that from baseball, or was that developed in your mid-20s? When did you start developing that? I was doing it in my early teens, playing baseball, but I didn't have someone point it out to me until I got a mentor, which was Tony Robbins. When I was really yes. young, I met Tony, and Tony's like, listen, you're a stud. It's not good enough just to believe in somebody. Like, mm -hmm. if, if I'm going to change how you feel about you, I can just go, you're great, right? The generic belief. Right. You have to anchor, when you're trying to lead somebody, you have to anchor that belief into something they intuitively believe about themselves. Mm -hmm. So you're great because, and then if the because is something I acknowledge is true, now I believe I'm great, right? That's right. And so he said, you're great, man. Not because you're this great athlete or, you know, you could hit a baseball so far, run so fast. You're great because, man, you're a hard worker. You outwork these guys. Your size to play Division One to go play professionally, that's incredible. And I started going, you know what? I do show up earlier. I do work harder. I am in the gym longer. I do do what I say I'm going to do. Mm -hmm. And it started to manifest itself inside me in my 20s. And then it was just a matter of sort of finding a direction to channel that into business-wise, right? Yes. So you almost had the work ethic, and then I think, and correct me if I'm wrong, but you were probably at a time in your mid-20s where a lot of people might be now or people listening to this or maybe at any age yep. where they might have the work ethic, they might not, but they don't have a vehicle, right? Or they oh. don't have a, something to channel it into. Yep. What was that process like of figuring out your career moves yep. it, at that time? Great question. In, in hindsight, in your life, every time you look back, you go, you know what? That did happen for me, not to me. Mm -hmm. But when baseball ended, I thought it happened to me. <laughs> right? Like, right. why'd this end? I worked so hard. I don't deserve this injury, right? But in hindsight, it happened for me. What happened was, I'll tell you a quick story. My life changed. And uh, it's what led me into my business. My, I was at home unemployed. Mm -hmm. My dad had recently gotten sober. Mm -hmm. And he was going to these meetings that you go to when you get sober, that right. he still goes to to this day, by the way. And so he comes home from one of the meetings. He goes, hey, I got you a job. 
You're showing up tomorrow morning in San Dimas, McKinley home for boys, <laughs> six bucks an hour. You get your butt there at 6 a.m. And I'm like, okay, Dad, you know, yeah. I'm going to get a job. Let's do it. And so I'm driving down there, and it occurs to me, I don't know who the hell's hiring me. I don't know what the hell his job is yeah. either. So I get there and I go, I'm, I'm here for the job. I'm Eddie Milet. They go, we don't know what an Eddie Milet is. I never forget the guy goes, what's an Eddie Milet? And I'm like, it's a me. You know? And he goes, yeah. well, we don't know who you are, man. I said, well, I'm here for the job. He says, what job? I said, I don't know. Who's hiring you? I don't know. And he goes, well, then we can't help you. And he goes, do you know the name of the guy? And I'm like, Tim. Tim. And he goes, Tim who? I go, I don't know his last name. Right? And he says to me, well, let me can't. I go, wait a minute. He's an alcoholic. I know that. And he goes, oh, they all go, oh, Tim. Everyone knows yeah, Tim, yeah. the alcoholic guy. Yeah. And so they introduced me to Tim. And what it was is McKinley is a campus of group homes. It's a, a giant place, different homes where boys live that are wards of the court for the most part. My boys were either orphaned or removed from their family because they were molested by family. Mm. And immediately at 22 years old, I now am the big brother, father, living with these boys. I spent holidays with them. I picked them up from school. I talked to them about their problems with their, their girl. My kids were seven to 10. Mm-hmm. And so I played with them every day, right? I became their best friend and my life changed that year. And a lot of these boys were sort of dealing with challenges at home. Major or- at-risk kids. There, there, in many cases, there was no longer ever going to be another home. Mm-hmm. They were going to live at McKinley until they're 18. Mm-hmm. And you imagine being a seven-year-old boy and your uncle's molested you, or your dad molested you, or your dad's been killed, right? A lot of people can understand that. And so, ironically, Mm -hmm. my dad's alcohol abuse when I was a kid Mm -hmm. happened for me Mm. because I could relate to dysfunctional Mm. families, not to the extent of theirs, but I understood what it was like to live in stress as a little child. Yeah, and you knew what they were feeling. You knew the inner dialogue in their mind, and so you could cater help to that same voice. I knew some of it, yeah. And so I was born for that. Mm-hmm. He prepared me for that, right? Yeah. He's always preparing you for the next step if you'll just wow. look for it. And so what ended up happening was I fell in love. Something transferred. I went from this cocky, ego-driven athlete, which I don't know that you ever shake completely, right? <laughs> but I went from not being about me. I was like, oh my gosh, I love serving people. I love mm-hmm. making a difference in some other person's life, these little guys' lives, some of which are still in my life to this day. And so all of a sudden I went, oh, what I'm going to do somehow with my life is going to somehow involve helping other people. Mm-hmm. So I knew that, right? And then while I worked there, I got a phone call from my best friend's dad who said, hey, we need some people part-time in our financial business. Come take a look at it. I'm only making six bucks an hour. I'm never going right. to have my own family. Right. So I go do that. And then I got into the financial business that I'm in at the same time I was at McKinley. Mm-hmm. And I took that same work ethic, competitiveness, drive from baseball, mixed now with the helping people, mm-hmm. making a difference, caring about people. That combination, I brought it into business, and then boom, my business took off. And do, do you remember that first meeting at the financial services thing? What were your thoughts going into it? Were you kind of skeptical? I mean, take us back to that day, drive into the meeting. What's going super, through your mind? Super, super skeptical. And not only, <laughs> not only just skeptical, it's completely disinterested. Mm-hmm. So I think a lot of the blessings in your life aren't going to show up the way you thought they would. Mm-hmm. They don't come looking like what you thought. Like even maybe who you're married to now. Like you're right. married, you're in love, but maybe they're not exactly the person when you were a kid you dreamed they'd look like, right? <laughs> right. So a lot of blessings come in packages that we don't expect. Mm-hmm. And so I, not only was I skeptical, but the guy that hired me wasn't doing very well. Mm-hmm. So there wasn't a very good example of success, <laughs> right? I was right. like, well, you're not doing well. Why would I do yeah, well, why, right? Why would I join? And then also I think, more than anything, it's just an industry I don't want to be in. Mm-hmm. I don't want to be in the financial business. I don't like sales. Mm-hmm. I, my, my family was the most anti-sales anything family ever, right? Yeah. Plus money. I didn't take a math class after my sophomore year in high school. I'm not good at math. I'm not good at numbers. I wasn't a business major in college. Mm-hmm. It's like none of this is for me until they got to the part about competing mm. and recognition and winning. And then they went, and by the way, what we do changes people's lives. Mm-hmm. Families are hurting. Families are in debt. Families are broke. Families don't understand how money works. And I was just dealing with kids that were a product of screwed up families, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm like, uh-oh, I got the baseball, money, compete, win, get rich thing right. with all of the helping people thing at McKinley. And I went, I'm going to go for this. Boom. Yeah. And then when you start with WFG, which yep. is this, where you're still currently in, yep. World Financial Group, yep. Were you right away, you know, a stud? Did you kill it right off the bat or did you kind of struggle at first? Because I think yep. a lot of people who join yep. kind of encounter the, oh, shit, what did I get myself into? Yes. 
you know, what was it like your first week, your first month? Take us back. Uh, like any entrepreneur, the first three years was riddled with false starts. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't all <laughs> failure, right? right? Like, I don't think every entrepreneur just fails. I think you have some hopes and then you step backwards. You take a step forward, you take four back. So mm-hmm. my first three years, frankly, was like, I think I got it. No, I don't. I think I have it. No, I don't. I got some clients. No, I don't. I got a team. No, I don't. Right. Were so you part-time? Part-time for a year and then full-time. Okay. I made like I think I made 40000 my first year part-time. I'm like, well, I'm making 20000 at McKinley, so mm-hmm. I transferred. But then I opened my own office. Then I didn't pay a cell phone bill. You know, it's constantly false starting. And so I kept going through this process all the time of thinking I'd made progress and then stepping backwards. It's almost like trying to get a jet off the ground, mm-hmm. and it starts to take altitude, and then it crashes. It starts to take altitude, yeah. and then it crashes. I think all entrepreneurs can relate to that. And there were several times, brother, Several times I was ready to quit. Several times I think I even did in my mind quit for a few minutes, to be honest with you. I just, I didn't give in to the temptation to stay quit mm. because um, the, I so admire entrepreneurs because it's one of the great self-discovery processes <laughs> of all time. You're going to learn a lot about yourself, Absolutely. man. You're going you're gonna to learn how tough you really are, how relentless you really are, how resilient you are, how bad you really want it. Mm-hmm. Reservoirs of strength and passion you don't think you have you will have to find to win as an entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. And so it's one of these great, it may, entrepreneurialism makes you face up to somebody you've probably been running from for a long time. Mm-hmm. You. You're going to face you in the mirror many times. There's going to be a whole bunch of moments of truth as an entrepreneur, which is why when I meet a successful one, mm-hmm. actually, even when I meet an aspiring one, right. they have my immediate admiration. I want to help them. I, I'm out here on social media. I want to help them because and I had someone just a little bit more encouraging, a little bit more inspirational, mm-hmm. a couple extra strategies, it could have saved me so much pain. So mm-hmm. I'm here to help those dreamers. I'm here to help those people with vision because it takes guts right. to say, I ain't going to be average. I'm not going to be average and ordinary. I'm not going to live an ordinary life. I want to do something great. I was born to be special. Mm-hmm. I was born to do something awesome with my life. That takes guts, man. That takes courage. So the more I can help people who are trying to better their life, you have my highest mm-hmm. admiration and respect. I want to help you. And when you started, you know, you built a good momentum. You said you made 40 grand your first year. Yeah. Were you a natural born salesman or did you just sort of learn it? I mean, what was it that cultivated that sense of I don't salesmanship even, yeah, that you're, you're world-renowned for now? yeah. No, I was not natural at it. Um, <laughs> even community, I'm really introverted. Mm-hmm. So for me to ask people for help, for me to make a phone call to somebody, for me to say, please do this, or learn to ask questions, right. all that stuff was uh, unbelievably uncomfortable for me. Mm-hmm. And so I really struggled in the beginning. And then finally, someone said to me, goes, dude, it's not really about you. It's about them. You're really being selfish. Like, put yourself in their space. Care about them, right? Mm-hmm. Like, really be concerned about them. Because people feel your energy, right? Right. I mean, really, communication, you and I were talking about this off camera, communication is not what you say, it's what people feel, mm-hmm. right? And it's a transfer of energy. As you know, you can't <laughs> give me what you're not experiencing. Right. But the question becomes, how do you transfer energy? Mm-hmm. Like, how do you actually do that? And it has to come from a place of total belief and conviction. Not that you're great, mm-hmm. but that your intentions are good. Mm-hmm. Finally, I kind of went, I'm not the best closer. I'm not the best salesman. I intend to help people. I'm intending to do good. Mm -hmm. Because my intentions are good, I deserve to get worth out of this. I deserve to benefit from it. So no, it took me a long time. And for me, the hook is always this. I got to be prepared. Right. My confidence in this interview. Right. My confidence is in my preparation. Because if I've prepared, if I've I've really rehearsed the things that I know I want to do or say when I go into a presentation, I'm that much more confident. But if you send me into an environment where I haven't practiced, Mm -hmm. where I haven't prepared, that's like massive kryptonite for me, man. I am, I am weak if I'm right. not prepared. To this day, same thing. I must be prepared. So no, sales did not come natural to me. So what would be your best piece of wisdom to somebody who might be listening to this, driving in their car right now, maybe yeah. chilling at home, maybe struggling and trying to figure out, man, should I quit this thing or how do I develop my sales skills? Maybe the Ed Milet, if you mm-hmm. could go back to that mm-hmm. young man who was thinking about quitting for the, you know, thousands of people who might be listening right now, yeah. what would you tell them right now? I would say no matter what it is you're doing, mm-hmm. So no matter what it is you're doing, whether it's my business or any other business, you're an entrepreneur or you're, you're trying to get your pro card as a bodybuilder. Right. You're trying to be a professional golfer. You're trying to be an actress, right? You have to literally ask yourself, you have to pre-negotiate the price in advance. Mm-hmm. In other words, most people's will to win is for sale. I say this mm. all the time. My, the difference for me, the reason we're Laguna Beach oceanfront or we'd be on my jet or wherever we would be, right? <laughs> you're coming on my Ferrari in the front, all these material things. The reason those things exist isn't because I'm more talented. Mm-hmm. It isn't because of that. I'm an average dude. 
you've met me, we've been talking, you know I'm a pretty average dude, okay? <laughs> my will to win is not for sale. It almost was, but you can't buy me. There is no price, as long as it's legal, ethical, and moral, I will not pay for my dreams to happen. No price. And so most people, there's a price where they'll sell their will. They'll sell their dream, they'll sell their kids, they'll sell out their will to win. They will just eventually relent. You can be bought. Now they'll call it something later. It wasn't for me, it didn't work out, yeah, the yeah. timing was like bullshit. You sold out your dream. You sold your will to win. You sold your family. You can be bought. The question for you as an entrepreneur is can you be bought? Because the long term, as long as you hang in there long enough, Mm -hmm. I promise you there's a breakthrough eventually. I promise you that there is. So my advice to you is just negotiate it now. What's the price? And if it better be, there is no price where you can buy my will. Because for me, it's this. I'm not going through this life Mm -hmm. on the average track. Right. Where it's really smooth, a couple barbecues <laughs> on the weekend, not a lot of bad weather, not a lot of bumps, not a lot of ups and downs. I want to be in the arena. I want to be on the bumpy road, the, the old the road less traveled. Right. Throw my ass on that road. I'm already prepared, man. You can knock me down. I'm getting back up. Knock me down. I'm getting back up. You cannot buy my will to win. That's what you got to decide as an entrepreneur because here's the deal, man. You're going to have plenty of times where someone's going to be willing to write you a check with failure. Mm. What's your price? How much failure can you take? How many hits are you willing to take before the check is written and you get bought out? For me, there's no check. There's no price. I cannot be, the price cannot be bought from me. That's incredible, man. Yeah. Now, that's something you cultivated? Is it, was it reading? Was it seminars? I mean, obviously, you, you had sort of the seed of that. Yep. But was that something you kind of worked on and yes. the success fed it and little by little it just Easy formula kept too. on scaling? Easy scaling? formula. What's the formula? Okay, the formula is this. Most people are wandering generalities. Mm-hmm. So they, I want to get in shape. Mm-hmm. Your brain cannot process vanilla generic stuff, man. So the more specific you are, the more clear you are. I mean, precise. I used to walk this beach with my then girlfriend and tell her we will live there someday. Pretty specific. I pointed up at this hill when we were kids when there are no houses here. Mm-hmm. And there was ones above it. I said, we're going to live there someday, babe. Like, here we are, right? Specific. I didn't want to live on the beach. I wanted to live in Laguna Beach. I wanted to live in Three Arch Bay. I don't want to be in shape. I want to weigh 195. I want 6% body fat. The more specific you are, mm-hmm. the more your brain and you can go to work on attracting it and getting it. The second thing, though, is here's where, why my will's not bought. Mm-hmm. Every, most people can get to what I just said. Here's what most people won't do. They will not take the time to invest the mental focus in why they're doing it. Mm. Your compelling reasons why. Because your why will always be greater than the price. In other words, I got two beautiful kids. Right. I got a great family. There's no check you could write for me to sell those kids out. Mm-hmm. I can't, and I've linked my children's futures, my children's dreams, my kids someday seeing the best version of me, meeting the ultimate dad of theirs, right? Mm to that. So my why is linked to all my goals. And whys are always your dreams or other people. If you link enough whys, I mean, not cheesy stuff, like not read this in a book. Oh, that's neat. Link really why you're doing it. You can't be bought. You now are literally have a force field around you that is impenetrable because you've got bigger reasons than the obstacles that will come. So I load myself up with reasons. So in the beginning, did you, would you, would you actually like literally consciously write things down and get yes, clear? This I still is do. why I'm doing it. I still and do. And you refine the why until it becomes hot enough. Yep. Because I think that's really interesting. Tony Robbins, you know, talks about it. it says reasons come first, yep. actions come second. Always. If your why is hot enough, you'll figure out the way. The mechanics you'll figure out. If you spend all your time figuring out about the mechanics, you're not. You're going to know how to. You're not going to know why to. There's not going to be any. You're going to have the GPS with no gas in the tank. That's a hundred percent, brother. Yeah. I'm always. And I just did a goal setting podcast. You can get it by the way on iTunes. It's free, so you can just go get it. But <laughs> I just did that. And the thing I focus the most on is getting clear, getting specific. But you got to invest the time in your reasons why. Most people walk through this planet Earth mm-hmm. just wandering around, hoping for kind of generic stuff. Okay. <laughs> then there's a few people who go, Nah, this is really what I want. Mm-hmm. Now you're in an elite group. But what's the most rare is for someone walking around Earth who's completely specific, who's loaded with big-time reasons that they've linked to it. Now you're powerful. Yeah, like Tony Robbins says, he says, life will pay any price you ask of it. I love it. And by the way, and the reverse is also true. If you don't ask of it, there'll be a price you won't pay and your will to win is bought. Yeah. Yeah. They say the road to anywhere will take you anywhere, you know? Mm. And most people just don't get clear. And as a result, they end up by default, you know, in no man's land. Yeah, by the way, and, and here's the truth. You know, the hardcore truth? No one will know anyways. Because if you're <laughs> one of those people, no one will ever know you lived. Yeah. You they will say, go through this earth and no one will know you were here. That's a sad way to live. There's another one. They say everybody's self-made, but only the successful will admit it. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. It's funny. My, my daughter, I'll tell you something funny about that. My daughter the other night at dinner goes, Daddy, I think you're going through a midlife crisis. <laughs> right? 
And, uh, and I said, why would you say that, baby? She goes, oh, come on, dad. You know, the new beard, Instagram <laughs> pictures. It's a midlife crisis. I said, you know what? You're 100% right. Yeah. I'm going through a midlife crisis. And just so you know, before you were born, I was going through a crisis. Mm-hmm. And I told her the story. I'll tell you real quick. My son was at a, I'm always in a crisis to be the next better version of me, right? Mm-hmm. Like a crisis to get there. So my son was six. We're at a car wash. He used to see this guy at the car wash all the time. And he'd be reading the same newspaper. And I didn't mean to be mean to him one day, but he said to me, he goes, you know, like you say to kids, enjoy your six-year-old because when he's seven, the six-year-old's gone forever. And he goes, and man, when he turns eight, that seven-year-old's gone forever. And reflexively, I said, sir, when did that stop for you? Mm. And he just stared back at me. And I told myself that day, I said, I don't, I don't want that to ever stop. The 21-year-old me ought to be gone forever and the 22-year-old's a better version. The 28-year-old ought to be gone forever when I turn 29 and the 29-year-old's better. And if I do that all my life, I'm ch- we, ultimately, I'm chasing down a guy. Mm-hmm. I'm not competing against the rest of the world. I'm chasing down the man I was born to be, the one the Lord made in his image, right? The ultimate best most confident, peaceful, giving, generous, powerful version of me, I want to meet that guy at the end of my life. Mm -hmm. And I meet him by every year being in a crisis to get to the next place, the next place, the next version of me, because I ultimately want to meet the one I could have been. Mm -hmm. The end of your life, the best end of a life is the Lord says, well done, right? Good and Mm -hmm. faithful servant. But at the same time, he goes, by the way, this is who I made you to be in my image and shake his hand. And when I shake his hand, I go, hey, brother, been with you a long time. (laughs) The worst end of a life would be to meet him and be total strangers. Mm. I have no idea who this man is because somewhere along the way, my will to win got bought and I went on easy street Mm -hmm. and I never meet him. I want my kids to meet that guy. So yeah, honey, I'm in a midlife crisis and I'll be in a late life crisis too. That's what I told her. That's the max out philosophy. It is. That's what it is. Now, also, I do want to talk a little bit about your family. Sure. um, Because you have a beautiful story about you and your wife. Her name's Christiana. Christiana. Yep. Christiana. Now, you guys uh, were teenage sweethearts? We were, high school. Correct, high school sweethearts? Yeah, grew up a couple streets away from each other. Talk a little bit about that, because I think a lot of people listening at whatever stage of life they're in, you know, they might be realizing that they got dreams and ambitions, but a lot of times a life partner can add tremendous value or tremendous stress in the way of those dreams. That's true. Can you talk a little bit about it? Because I know you guys have a beautiful story of yeah. sacrifice and stuff like that. Yeah, well, we certainly, she, uh, Christiana's been with me since the very beginning. Wow. And so, you know, it's nice no to- breakups. Uh, we, we did. We broke up when I went away to college. Okay. Absolutely. Yep. Which probably was another thing that happened for us, <laughs> right? We both kind of figured out what was else out there. And mm. so that happened for us too. Everything in hindsight happens for you, right? Do you remember how you guys met in high school? I do. Yeah. Um, she sat in front of me at a play mm-hmm. in high school. And, uh, I remember my best friend who ended up being my best man at my wedding, who actually was in the business with me for a long time too. Oh, wow. In fact, it was his dad who called me. I said, you see that one right there? I said, I'm getting that one. Mm-hmm. And I'd never had a girlfriend before. It was like the first girl I ever actually admitted that I liked, too. Yeah. Like, I didn't tell anybody. How old were you at the time? Late bloomer. I was 15. <laughs> I was 15. She was 14. Mm-hmm. And then she had a boyfriend. Mm. Found out she had a boyfriend. I said, that's cool. I'll just wait for you. You'll be done with him yeah, soon. No problem. Yeah. And then about like two weeks later, she was done with him. <laughs> <laughs> and the rest is history. <laughs> yeah. So then you guys get together. Yep. You kind of split up uh, yep. during college we years. Yep. And then uh, I know there's a really interesting story that she actually sacrificed a little bit of college to help you with the business. Can you touch on that a little bit? Yeah, I was such a broke entrepreneur, man. So all those false starts happen. And so we get married, we're living in, here's how broke I ended up getting. Mm -hmm. I I ended up losing my house. Mm -hmm. My house got foreclosed on. Um, I told her, you need to go get a job to support us. I'll keep the business going. She said, I'll quit school. So she quit nursing school to go get a job. One morning she goes out to go to the job that she had just gotten Mm -hmm. and the car's gone. I'm like, oh my God, Lord, now my car gets stolen. On top of losing the house, except it was worse than that. It wasn't stolen. It was repoed. Repoed. So now we're down to one car. Then the electricity got turned off. I finally got enough money to turn the electricity off. But here's what you never want to have happen. Mm -hmm. The water got turned off in our house. And I'll just tell you straight up, man. You can have everything turned off in your house. You don't want to lose the water. Because water you can't cook and you can't shower. So now we're newlyweds. we got one car. We would have to get up in the morning, gather our stuff. We'd go down to the pool at the apartment complex. Mm -hmm. And we'd shower. It's freezing shower, brush your teeth, get dressed at the pool. How and old were you guys at this time? 25. Wow. Yeah. And I'd have to literally stand and block while she'd be in the shower because there was no door and vice versa. It was just shameful. Yeah, I was ashamed. Yeah. And, um, and that was the low point, man. It's like people ask me all the time, what's, um, this is true too. What's the best part of living ocean for? I'm like, look, honestly, the thing I'm most grateful for in my backyard is an ocean. Right. That's the easy thing to be grateful for. But it's weird when you go through real financial hardship. I'll tell you what strikes me it's bizarre. It happened this morning. It doesn't happen to everyone, but it did happen this morning. I'm grateful, man, mm-hmm. when I pull that thing on the shower and the water comes out. Wow. 
and it hits me in the face, I'm just, thank you, Lord. And it's just this quiet thing I don't think is ever going to go away because of that experience. So, of course, this is easy to be grateful for. Mm -hmm. But I'm telling you, man, there are many mornings, forget that I live oceanfront, forget that there's these mansions. I'm just like, yes, water. And you, you still remember those days when times were tough, the little things? I do. Yeah, I do remember them. I don't remember, it's interesting, I don't remember exactly what it's like to be broke because mm -hmm. I think you take on a new identity and you start to sort of forget it, but I right. don't forget where I come from. I don't forget the stories. I don't forget the shame. It was shameful. Mm -hmm. Like, it was just embarrassing, you know, and your whole family's against you. Mm -hmm. Everyone's telling you to settle in and get a job. The very people you're trying to make proud of you most of the time are your biggest haters, mm -hmm. your biggest detractors, because they don't know what you're trying to do. They don't relate to you wanting to do something great. Part of them's a little bit afraid you're going to change and leave when you get great, right? Yeah. And so the battle, battle was so difficult because it's like, I'm doing this to make you proud of me. Right. You know, and you're kicking me when I'm down. I need you more now, right? Mm -hmm. So I think probably one of the things that bonds us is that she didn't kick me when I was down. Mm -hmm. She supported me. In fact, she did some extraordinary sacrifices that I'll always be grateful for when we were down. In mm -hmm. fact, the ironic thing is the first day she gets this job that I had to have her get because she was broke, she sat next to a lady who was the other secretary who ended up being the wife of one of the all-time great guys I ever hired in my business. Wow. So if I don't go broke, if we don't lose the car, if she doesn't get the job, she doesn't meet that woman, I don't recruit. His name's Dan Charlie. Yeah. I never recruit him. Wow. So it happened for me, not to me. That's incredible. Yeah, they yeah. say hindsight's twenty twenty. Always. In hindsight the, in the is twenty twenty. Yep. Now, also, I want to talk about mental toughness as it relates to fitness. Because a lot of people know you for the max out slogan. Yep. How important do you feel fitness has been towards cultivating your sense of mental toughness then translate into business? Great question. What's that been like? Um, I'm, I look at business today that you're a business athlete. Mm -hmm. And so you have a huge advantage if you consider yourself an athlete. Like I say this all the time. Athletes now train like business people. Mm -hmm. And business people need to train like athletes. So LeBron James is a businessman. Right. Like, like Jay-Z Jay says, right? It's like, I'm not a businessman. I'm a businessman, right? Like Jay-Z is a businessman. Or LeBron James is. Kobe Bryant was a businessman. Michael Jordan, Magic Johnson, right? Mm -hmm. Tom Brady. These are businessmen who are also athletes. Well, if you're going to be a business person, you need to think like an athlete. Mm -hmm. So for me, my business starts with my body. Not muscles or strength necessarily, but fitness, health, vitality, energy. So my day starts with my body. The foundation of all of the things I do starts with my, it's my faith number one, but what I can control is moving my body. Mm -hmm. And so I train every day, six days a week, I do some sort of working out because it gets me in the right state, gets my nervous system flowing, and I feel stronger, more energized and healthier. And I think at the end of a day, one more phone call, one more meeting, one more encounter, can I be at my best? It's not will I do the meeting, do I deliver my A game? Right. Am I, or am I tired? Am I sore? Am I fatigued? Well, if I'm fit, if I'm strong, if I'm eating right, if I'm working out, you get my A game every time, not later in the day my B, C, and D game. That's the, those are the little inches that separate you in business. Yeah. Do you think you would have been able to same, produce the same results in business had you not been working out as if you had? Not even close. Mm -hmm. I, I think you could take away 90% of the financial success I've had if you take away my commitment to getting fit. Because you can actually draw a line. You go back and look at pictures of me earlier in my career mm -hmm. where I wasn't taking my body seriously. Well, guess what? If I'm weak there, I'm probably weak in some other areas. If I lack discipline in my eating, lack discipline in my working out, do you think that's the only place I'd lack discipline? Yeah, exactly. I'd lack discipline in other areas. And the other part of it is I couldn't always deliver in my business mm. on those promises. Yeah. But I could deliver on getting up. I could deliver on getting to the gym. I could deliver on certain amount of sets. And so my self-confidence, the foundation of it, actually started in the gym mm -hmm. as a little scrawny dude because I could keep those promises. I could control whether I showed up. I could control how many reps I did. All of a sudden, leaving there, everyone knows this that's listening to this that's starting to get fit. They're like, you know what? It does transform my right. life. And it's not just your body. It's your identity. It's, it's you being proud of you. It's you going, I'm in a, I got a little bit more control over myself than I had before. I trust me a little bit more. I'm prouder of me than I was before. Mm -hmm. You take away fitness, you take away working out, you could take away all this. For me, it won't exist. Wow. And by the way, I want to enjoy it. You want to be wealthy? Don't you want to be fit enough to go on your sea do or go skiing or play golf or work out or hiking? So there's a, there's a link between enjoying your wealth and being fit, never mind getting it. Do you remember some of the biggest challenges that you encountered on the pursuit here? Because I mean, here we are in this property, it's worth what, 25 million? Probably, at least. Yeah. I'll sell it to you for 25. <laughs> <laughs> About 25 million, yeah. you know, we see the Ferrari, we mm. see the material things, yeah. the boats, the jets, all that. Uh -huh. I know it was a bumpy road. I'm sure it was a tremendously mm. bumpy road. What were some of the things you did to train yourself 
to get yourself inspired. Did you create vision boards? Did you write down yeah. your goals? I mean, did you go visit dealerships? Did you start touching things before you could afford them? Yes. What were some of the rituals you did before to people out there that might have dreams and kind of want to in some way yeah. get closer to them? I'll give you a couple specific tips because the vision board thing I like, but I want to give you a couple things maybe you've not heard before. Okay. okay. So stuff you've not heard. I was really big on touching my dream a little bit because on a, on a budget. And so what I would do is I'd set up contests with myself, like over the next six or eight weeks, if I do X or Y, make this many sales, make that much money, hire this many people, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. If we do that on Saturday night, I'm driving out to La Quinta to the desert and we're going to stay at the La Quinta resort for a night. Christiana's going to get a massage. I'm going to go play golf and Mm -hmm. be around three other rich guys that are playing golf, right? And treat myself like it would be touch the dream, have a nice Mm. steak and a bottle of wine that night. Maybe it cost me 300 bucks every eight weeks, but I touched the dream. And it was when I was out there that I started to become more familiar with these places Mm. because the more familiar you are, your mind gravitates to it. Mm -hmm. So I started to build familiarity with my dream, right? And just feeling what a rich man felt like, even if it was for a day, Mm. for an hour, right? For a massage for my wife, for a nice bottle of wine, just touch it every eight weeks. I started to become comfortable there and think I deserved it. My best business ideas would happen on those weekends. My clarity of thinking, I started to think richer and more clearly. And so I wouldn't go if I didn't hit my goal. So there's a punishment for it too. So I'd start to touch my dream very regularly. That was number one, a huge thing for me. I'd come to the Ritz Carlton down here, (laughs) study the budget, you know, for, for six weeks. If I do, if I make 10 sales over the next three weeks, we're going to go one night at the Ritz Carlton. I'd pull up to the, (laughs) I wouldn't pull up to the valet. I go find somewhere to park. We'd drag our bags in, right? But I'd walk into that lobby, check in, Mr. Milet, your room's ready. And just that start, first time someone called me Mr. Milet, right? First time I had a dinner reservation, just this is what it feels like. I started to get comfortable. And here's what's crazy. I started to think I belonged there. Mm, I started yeah. to think I belonged there. When the world didn't think I belonged there, but yeah. about 10, 12 times a year, I belonged there. Mm. And I got more, and then I started, I like living here. I like, and I'd go touch the houses and the dreams and the cars when I was there. Then the other thing I did, just real quick, is I started to seek out associations. Mm. I started to seek out people who I thought were living life at a higher temperature than me, at vibrating higher, more successful than me, because I'm such a massive believer in the power of association that I, I couldn't hang around these four or five people and live the same life. I had somehow there's a pull power. So between touching my dreams and seeking out new associations, I built this recipe, this mm-hmm. code. I have an audio called Unlocking Your Success Code. You should go listen to it. And I talk about some of these codes to my success mm-hmm. and yours, my formula. And those were two biggies for me. And I find that that's really interesting, the associations, because a lot of people we've interviewed say that a lot of times when you get in proximity to people living the life you want, the conversations are different than if you're hanging out with people who are still trying or striving. And you start thinking like them. You start making decisions like them. You start recruiting like them. You start talking and selling like them. Did you find that that sort of started to rub off? My entire set of my mind, my mindset changed when I started to be honest. The guys I hung around, we talk about what it'll be like when we do. Mm. Wouldn't it be cool if, (laughs) right? I wonder what it's, and those are healthy friends who believe in you. I don't think you should, we say drop drop your friends. No, just add new ones. Right. Because those friends, there's there's no price tag. There's nothing more valuable than a 20 or 30 year friendship. You don't dump those people. It's terrible advice. Mm -hmm. Doesn't mean you can't add ones though. Mm -hmm. Right. And so, the other friends I started to meet were doing it. Mm. They're in flow. They're in process. They're in it, yeah. So their conversations are about how they're doing it, strategically what's happening, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. It was almost assumed it would happen. Right. Whereas yeah. my other friends, it was hopeful. Yeah, I wonder, yeah, 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 wouldn't yeah. it be cool, right? And so when I started to add people who were in flow, in process, and then when I was with that group, I started to meet some others. I'm like, well, that's the next group. I need to know that guy, that lady. And they were a little bit, because like I always say, you know this, you li- you life, your identity is like a thermostat mm-hmm. and it dictates your life. It's sitting on the wall. It controls how much wealth, happiness, money, whatever you have. And one of the ways to change that thermostat so you live at a higher temperature is to associate with people who already live at higher degrees of temperature. Mm-hmm. And so I'm, oh, I'm doing it to this day. Right. To this day, I we am We can seek- feel it. Um, we feel the temperature, my man. You can feel it. I'm seeking, <laughs> yeah, I appreciate it. I'm seeking people who can stretch me. Most people want friends who validate them. Right. Make me feel good about myself. Tell me how great I am, right? Tell me why it's okay to stay where I'm at right right now. Make me feel comfortable. Hey, man, you're supposed to validate me. We're friends. I thought you had my back. Yeah. You should have a few friends like that. Mm -hmm. But you should have some other friends that are like challenge you, Mm -hmm. push you. Hey, brother, that's BS. That's not true. You're better than that. This is your standard. I want friends who elevate my standards all the time. And so once I'm at a certain standard, it's probably, I don't dump the old ones. Mm -hmm. I add new ones. Mm -hmm. Right? So that's what I do. That's powerful. Yeah. Now, let's talk about the challenges. Okay. What were some of the deepest times where you said, man, shit, maybe I should quit, or maybe 
Uh, you know, you talked a little bit about the, the money or the water being shut yeah. off in those situations. What were some of the deepest challenges you faced that maybe you haven't shared before mm-hmm. that are personal to you that you feel comfortable sharing and that might speak to somebody out there who feels something so deep yeah. and doesn't know a way out? Oh, wow. I'll give you a, I never said this. I, I'll give you a quiet one. There's the obvious ones where I was like, we're so broke. I'm, I'm deluding myself. Like <laughs> this is not, I'm not living the, I'm not chasing the dream. I'm literally living the nightmare, yeah. right? So those are obvious ones. But I'll tell you, it was interesting. One night in my business, you want to grow the size of your team. Right. Just a benign Tuesday night. I was doing okay. I wasn't broke. It's weird how some of this can hit you. Really driven, really pumped up. And I had had like 80 people the week before at a meeting. Kind of like, hey, we're doing well. How old are you at this time? 27. Okay. So I'm pretty far into my career now, right? Right. And uh, that night, like 25 people only showed up. And I remember before the meeting, there's this mixer. I remember I'm leaning against the wall. Mm-hmm. And I remember going this isn't worth it. I'm working too hard. Mm-hmm. People suck. They don't keep their word. They let you down. They say they're going to be someone they're not. What's wrong with people? Maybe I just, you know what? It is not that bad to go sell Mercedes somewhere or do right. something. It's not that bad to settle for my life. And I remember I was literally feeling my body change, like losing my energy for it. I could feel it. And I remember going, and I remember thinking to myself, I go, damn it. I always do this when it gets hard. Mm. I always give in. I always start, I always hold a little back. All my life, school, relationships, baseball, I worked hard, but I always left a little bit in reserve, I think just so I had an excuse. Just a little bit, just a little bit I held back from my maximum, maximum, my maxed out effort, I held it back just a little bit, almost like so I'd have an excuse if it didn't work. Yeah. You know, almost like, hey, man, I don't want to give it all to this because if it doesn't work, I'll be crushed. Mm-hmm. So I'll give most of myself. You do that in relationships. Yeah, yeah. I'll give most of myself. But if it doesn't work, then I won't be crushed. And people do that in their business and their bodies and their families. And I remember going, you know what? I'm not quitting and I'm done like holding this little piece back. Um, and I literally, since so we're maxed out, came yeah. like, I'm going to max this mother out. Yeah. This is it. Right. And I remember that meeting go, let's go. And I gave a great meeting. I stepped into a new energy. Right. I was like, boom. Right. And I transformed that night because I was like, I always do this. I always leave a little in reserve. I'm leaving it all out there, all out there this time. And it's that is when it didn't shift immediately. Mm-hmm. But if I look back on that stuff started to change about that time. Mm-hmm. Right then. And, and Henry Nguyen, he wrote in, he asked a question. Yeah. I promised him I would ask you. Yeah. What's the one thing you do different when building your financial services business? If you could do it all over again, yeah. what would you do different? I would have treated people better. Mm-hmm. In other words, I was so passionate, so intense, that there's a, there's a balance as a leader, as a business person, between pushing people to your standard mm-hmm. and getting them to go at a pace that they're just capable of. Mm-hmm. And too often, I expected people to be as driven and as hungry and as ambitious as me, and if they weren't, I shunned them. Mm-hmm. I, put, I put them down. I didn't elevate people. In other words, I didn't pull the best out of them enough in my career. So I would have been more patient, more kind. Once I had kids, I was like, you know what? If someone talked to my kids the way I talked to some of these people, right? So I would change that. And then the other thing is this. I would have believed in myself way sooner. I would have got a mentor earlier in my career. I waited through too much pain before I finally centered and said, I need help. Mm-hmm. Please help me. Mm-hmm. Earlier on, I should have said, listen, tell me exactly what to do. I'll do everything you coach me to do. I will outwork everybody. I will do everything you tell me. Just please give me some directions. Give me some belief. Mm-hmm. I needed someone in my corner earlier, and I didn't find them early enough. Yeah. Because I know, too, you mentioned that I've seen it in a different interview that you said you kind of didn't do so hot in the beginning and then you yeah. kind of built some momentum to where I believe in your 30s you were at seven figures and then your 40s you hit eight figures. Is that yeah. correct? So my, my, I made a million dollars a year. My first million I made at 30 years old. The next mm-hmm. year I made two million. Mm-hmm. And then I made my first eight figure year or annual income when I was 40. Which is 10 million. Which is 10 million a year. I made more than 10 million when I turned 40 that year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that was a big turning point. And I made six figures in my 20s. What's the biggest mindset shift of difference between somebody maybe earning less than six figures and eight figures? What's the mindset shift? The, the difference is this, is that most people, once they get to a certain destination, they stop doing the things that got them there. Mm. They start managing it. They start trying to get control. Mm. Being an entrepreneur is messy. And the minute you try to earn total control over your environment and think you're just going to completely have everything wired, organized, and, organized, yeah, yeah. and you stop do, putting in the effort that you put in before, or you stop evolving and modernizing and getting better. There's this old adage in business, you got to trust the process. Biggest load of BS in the history of business is trust your process. Tell 
tell uh, Barnes and Noble they should have trusted their process. You know why they're not Amazon? Because they trusted their process. Right. Blockbuster Video should be Netflix right now, mm -hmm. but they're not because they didn't evolve. They trusted their process. Kmart should probably be Target or even eBay right now, yeah. but they're not because they trusted their process. So when people get to a certain level of success, they start to try to hold on to it and control it and corral it. And okay, I'm gonna manage this. I'm gonna stop doing the things that got me there. I'm gonna stop evolving. And I'm just gonna sort of hold on to this and ride it out. This is pretty good. And they start riding, it's almost like floating on the water with a floaty, right? Eventually the shark's gonna bite your feet, man. Yeah. You better keep kicking. You better keep swimming. You better keep moving because the sharks are surrounding you as an entrepreneur all the time. Your competitors, failure, setbacks is all surrounding you. And the minute you start floating, the minute they start biting. And eventually there's blood in the water. And when blood gets in the water, they really start eating. You can I know friends, and so do you, who are very wealthy people, yeah. five years later are bankrupt. Oh, yeah, and absolutely. most of the time, you can go back to that line and go, they started to trust their process, mm -hmm. try to manage it and control it, instead of keep kicking, keep swimming, keep evolving. So that was the difference for me. I just I just kept swimming. There's a powerful expression that says evolve or dissolve. Oh, I love that. Evolve or I dissolve. I love that. Yeah. That's, I'm stealing that. That's powerful. That's powerful. Now, uh, as we get kind of to the end here, yeah. As we sit back, reflecting upon your life, this beautiful view, mm. what would the Ed Milet, who's now doing well, mm. helping thousands of people, if not tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of people around the world, mm. what would you tell the Ed Milet who is driving in his car with your wife, 25, broke, mm. maybe driving down the freeway, thinking, man, is this gonna work out? Is this yeah. gonna happen? What would the Ed, as we sit here today, say to that young man, who was looking for answers. Mm. Really? Yeah. I would tell him, hey man, God's got your back, brother. And the more you'd pray about it, the more you'd have some faith, mm -hmm. the more you'd know you got God's favor. Mm -hmm. The more he's your savior and your business partner, brother. He's got you, it's all good. And everything you need within you is there right now to win. And I would say this to everybody, you're enough, young Eddie Milet. You're enough, you're a woman. I, I, I see women all the time that message me and. Women in this world are being constantly told they're not enough. You're not pretty enough. You're not smart enough. Girl, you're beautiful. Yeah. You're beautiful. You're enough as you are. Men, you're stronger than you think you are. You're enough right now. So I would have gone back to that 25-year-old and said, hey, man, good news. God's got your back, brother. It's all going to be good. Have some faith. Rely on him a little bit more. Quit trying to do it all yourself, dude. Mm -hmm. Rely on your faith a little bit more. And number two, you're enough. You're good the way, doesn't mean I don't wanna be the next version of me. Mm -hmm. Doesn't mean I'm not chasing the next version, but yeah. in this time, in this moment, I'm made perfect. God made me in his image and likeness. And ladies especially, you're enough, girl, you're beautiful, you're strong, you're smart, you're intelligent. And the more you show up in your life with mm -hmm. some faith, yeah. some faith, I love people of faith. Most people have a great faith until it comes to business and they check God at the door, like <laughs> now it's all on me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's all on me, right? Yeah, yeah. It's not all on you, Eddie Milet, when you're 25. And guess what? The more you show up as a person who knows they're enough, you're enough right now, everything you need within you, the more powerful you are, the more influential, the more you can transfer Ooh. that energy that we're talking about. So I'd tell the 55-year-old me, by the way, yeah. if we could flash forward, hey, Eddie, at 55, right? Hey, buddy, God's got your back. Rely on God. Rely on your faith a little bit more. It's not all you. And you're enough, man. I'll be telling myself that all the way. Those are my two foundational beliefs, my faith and that I'm enough. I'm getting better, but I'm enough. Yeah, wow. And that relationship with your creator is something you cultivated along the way? Absolutely. And yeah. like everybody who has faith, I struggle with it. Right. It sounds way better on camera than it does in right, real right. life. We're all human. Yeah. Right? I sin every day. I make mistakes every day. I question things every day. But if I look back, all of this that you're looking at, I ain't good enough to have done all this. There's no way this is all me, man. There's just no way. And every time, by the way, I start thinking it's all me, yeah, yeah. he kind of has a way of reminding me yeah, it's yeah, not. Yeah, That's yeah. when these setbacks start. So I'm not trying to be preachy. I believe, I, I respect any faith you're involved with. If it gives you strength, if you feel strong about it, if it gives you comfort, wonderful, right? I just know I'm weak, mm -hmm. so I need some comfort. I need some strength that comes from outside of me, and for me, that's my faith. Wow, yeah. powerful. And in closing, we always ask every guest, yeah. To people out there, your fans, millions of people around the world that are moved by your message, yeah. um, what would be your final piece of wisdom? Everything, if you could give the world a final you know, 60 second speech, yeah. if you could look into the camera, yeah. and for those on the podcast listening, listen closely, yeah. what would you tell them, no matter where they are in life? I would tell you this, that the dream you have in your heart was put there for a reason. It was sewn into you as part of your life's journey. It's not a joke. It's not some vision that you might have. It was put there because it's possible, okay? God put that dream in your heart and in your soul and in your mind because it's part of your destiny. 
and you should chase it with everything you've got. And remember this, these things don't matter. Things don't matter, people do. And so what I would tell you in my one minute is chase that dream. It's in your heart, it's in your soul for a reason. It was wired there to give you strength, to give you purpose, to give you direction. Never give up on that dream. And secondly, always serve people. Things don't matter, people do. That's how I would max out. I love that. And then in closing, every episode we play a game. Uh, Grant Cardone and Elena played it as well. A lot of people love it. It's called First Things First. Okay. And the way the game works is I'm going to say a word or phrase. I'm going to list off 10. Well, word or phrase. And then you tell me the first word or phrase that comes to mind. Okay. Does that make sense? Sure. So I say one. And then you tell me first thing. So on and so forth. All the way to 10. All right? All right. Ready? Ready. First word. Tragedy. My dad's cancer. Your childhood. Tragedy. Your life now. Service. Your family. Everything. Money. A tool. Challenges. Growth. Your Ferrari. Fast. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Mentors. The key to my success and a great blessing in my life. God. My total purpose and reason for being here. Mm. And the last one, you ready? I'm ready. Passion. Well, passion is the fuel that drives my life. Passion is what gets me moving every single day. It's what I try to live with every single day. I'm sorry, that's more than one word, but you took away my passion. You took away my faith and my family. You could take away my life. So passion is that part of that trilogy of the driving force of my life. I love it, man. Well, thanks for bringing your passion here today. I enjoyed it, brother. We appreciate it, and I think everybody learned a lot today. Well, folks, there you have it. That's a wrap for our interview today with Mr. Ed Milet. I hope you guys enjoyed the jam-packed powerhouse of wisdom that Mr. Max Out himself shared on this interview. And I hope you guys take that knowledge and apply it to your own life by taking action. After all, knowledge without application means nothing. Also, I want to thank you guys for your love and support. It means the absolute world to us. So be sure if you enjoyed this interview or many of our other ones to leave a five-star review and share your comments, what you love about the show, what your favorite interview was. We super love, love, love to hear your guys' feedback. And those ratings and reviews are what help us grow the show. They are literally the oxygen of the passionate few and they help us reach even more people to touch them in the same way that you are touched by enjoying these interviews. So thank you guys so much. And last Lastly, I want to remind you guys once more that I'm hosting a 100% free masterclass on teaching you guys how to build your own interview show and build your brand around it so that you can reach even more people with your message, your product, your service, no matter your experience level. So be sure to click the link in the description here on iTunes to be able to register for your spot for the 100% free masterclass so I can teach you how I built a one-on-one interview show to help you get in touch with almost anybody to help them reach more people while doing the same for yourself. It's 100% free and you can register at the link in the description now to hold your spot. Until next time, I want to encourage you guys to live strong, live with passion, and remember those dreams in front of you, they are possible. We'll see you guys next time. Go get them. God bless.